This is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. This is Soul School, Lesson 183, in conversation with Terrence Lester. On November 4th, 2020, I had a live conversation with Terrence Lester for part of our book club discussion in his book, I See You. Today, I'm airing an edited version of that conversation, and I will have a link to the full conversation if you'd like to watch that. Here's a little bit about Terrence. He is a minister, speaker, community activist, author, and founder of Love Beyond Walls, a not-for-profit organization focused on poverty awareness and community mobilization. He helps the homeless and those in need. He campaigns on behalf of the poor, including Love Sinks In, which provides hand-washing stations for the poor, which is now a program that is in multiple countries and many, many cities around the world that helps people stay clean during the COVID pandemic. He's received numerous awards. He's been in USA Today, Black Enterprise, Essence, The Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS News, NBC News, Upworthy, The Bright Side, featured in documentaries, Coca-Cola commercials, was named by Coca-Cola as one of their history shakers. He lives in Atlanta with his wife, Cecilia, and their two children. He's coming out with a new book very shortly called When We Stand, The Power of Seeking Justice Together. We cover this a little bit in our conversation, too. This is from the publisher about that book. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by all the injustices that we see in the world. We don't know what to do, and we might think that we don't have anything to offer. But by using our gifts in collaboration with others, we can do more together than we ever could on our own. Activist Terrence Lester knows it's hard to change the world, but mobilizing and acting together empowers us to do what we can't do as isolated individuals. Lester looks at the obstacles that prevent us from getting involved, and he offers practical ways that we can accomplish things together as groups, families, churches, and communities. He helps us find our place in the larger picture, discerning the unique ways we can contribute and make a difference. By connecting with our neighbors and discovering our own paths of service, we can drastically change how we follow Christ and see God moving in the world. Togetherness and community give more visible testimony of the power of the gospel. In this broken world, the body of Christ can transform society when we stand together. The show notes for this episode will be available at patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse and be available free to the public to anybody who wants to read them and find the links there to things that were mentioned in the episode and all kinds of important links. I'm happy to celebrate my friend Terrence Lester, all his accomplishments and all his good work as part of my way to celebrate my friends that are Black Americans during Black History Month. Please make it a point during this month, but in the other 11 months, to seek out the stories, the connections, the scholarship, the work, and the ministries of Black Americans near you who are doing amazing work and often go undernoticed and underfunded. Seek them out, boost their voice, and join in what they're up to. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you don't know who I am, my name is Terrence Lester. I am a nonprofit leader here in the city of Atlanta. 
I'm actually a native of the city of Atlanta. I've been here my entire life. And I started the organization Love Beyond Walls probably almost seven years ago now. Wow, it's been seven years. And so uh, initially when we started the organization, uh, it was centered around uh, building intentional relationships with people experiencing homelessness. Uh, many people ask often like, what, what do you mean by building relationships? That fleshed out in having conversations with people. Um, it, it fleshed out in helping people to reunite with their family members. It helped, uh, it fleshed out in helping uh, people to recover uh, their identification cards, because oftentimes we would uh, build these relationships and then discover that uh, there was a, a barrier back towards uh, getting back into self-sufficiency. Um, and it kind of grew from there. Uh, we actually officially launched a center um, about five to seven minutes away from the Atlanta Hartsville Airport, uh, where many things go on uh, in that center. Uh, anything from helping people to recover uh, their IDs, helping people to reunite with family members, helping people to um, locate uh, social services if they're veterans, uh, helping people to uh, network to, uh, to find uh, gainful employment. Um, and then there are times when we are working with rooming houses and apartment complexes to actually help people uh, get placed in their own uh, stable housing. And so we've uh, done a lot of awareness campaigns to actually help to uh, educate people about the realities of what people suffer through if they're experiencing homelessness and poverty in this country. Our most recent, I guess, expression of that would be in the form of Dignity Museum. Um, last year in 2019, we launched a, a museum immersive experience uh, that gives people a chance to um, understand uh, the complexities of the experience of homelessness. And so we took a 40-foot shipping container and literally converted it into um, this immersive experience where people go in and they have VR glasses. Uh, they do all these uh, breakout stations. They get a chance to uh, encounter stories through an app on a, a technological device. Uh, they get a chance to uh, read myths and facts uh, and encounter information that gives them uh, another uh, another side or understanding of uh, the experience of homelessness. Because oftentimes many people put people that are experiencing this plight in a bucket in one or two categories. And uh, those categories are you're either on drugs or you have a mental health issue. And in most cases, uh, the number one leading cause into the experience of homelessness is actually job loss. Um, and I think many people in this, uh, this moment that we're in on a national scale helps us to understand how close or how proximate this experience is. Um, there are millions of people right now who are furloughed that are unemployed and aren't able to make rent payments or mortgage payments. And, uh, even others that have been uh, evicted. And there's uh, a study right now uh, by a researcher that recently released uh, the statement that by 2021, there's an expectation of homelessness to increase by 41%. And when wow. you think about that on a larger scale, uh, those are uh, really big numbers. 
um, projecting that in, into a year that is uh, not too far away. And so I've been doing for seven years. Uh, over the last seven years, we've helped uh, close to 400 people uh, get off the streets um, and find their way into either gainful employment or stable housing. And it's one of the greatest joys of my life uh, that I've been able to do in terms of mobilizing people to see others, right? Yeah. Uh, which shouldn't be a task, but um, uh, is, is something that gives me fulfillment. Yeah, we had talked about this a little bit on the podcast that we did that a lot of people are really only just a paycheck away from homelessness. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and then we find out how true that is. And we talked about rethinking poverty as a lack of access and whether it's to a job, to housing, to ID or, or some other thing. If you're, if you're kicked out of your home or if you've uh, lost your wallet and you are in hard times, it can be the, this barrier. And these prevailing ideas about people in poverty are often these myths about who these people are like those must be other people who are did something to deserve to be there and not realizing how quickly any one of us could come into that kind of a situation that's what that dignity museum is about and getting people to understand with empathy just how close it is and just how much we have to take care of each other your book does so so much for that i was also curious to ask you you're writing your next this book is about, well, the name of it is When We Stand, The Power of Seeking Justice Together. One of the reasons why I think that people aren't coming together is because of uh, two words, uh, is proximity and presence. Proximity is different pr from presence because you can be proximate to someone and not really know them. Like mm -hmm. there's a quote that hangs in our office um, that says, you can never meet the needs of people you've never met, right? Yeah. Uh, meaning that you can occupy the same physical space, um, but not have any social or spiritual or emotional connection uh, to individuals. And I think the distance within itself creates a lack of empathy, right? Uh, but once a person realizes that they can be proximate, which is the ultimate call of Jesus, right? That's why he came to earth um, to be proximate to us. We understand this concept of what it means to be neighbor, to love neighbor as self. I mean, how can you love someone that you don't even know, right? Or right. that you haven't uh, take, initiated this, this type of proximity. Proximity goes a little further than just casual knowing. It's uh, conversing with people, it's getting the chance to humanize them and understand them at the core of who they are in a space of grace, right? Receiving people as one of my mentors, uh, Father Greg Bulls would say, really this love that we share is, is all about receiving people, right? Mm. Um, but then presence is a little different because, uh, I mean, if we think about uh, proximity in terms of serving people, right? Everybody does the once a year thing and they uh, <laughs> become proximate for a moment. But this idea of presence means that you dwell, you know, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, presence is when you show up without any agenda. Uh, you show up because there's a genuine love for the people that you're showing up for. Um, it doesn't have any uh, checklists. Uh, sometimes you're showing up with this ministry of presence or this uh, or this presence just because you have this deep love and affection uh, for community. 
And what I believe right now is that um, if we are to stand against some of the uh, injustices or evils that plague communities across across the nation, that we have to have this this idea of proximity and presence. Mm-hmm. But it also speaks to this, you know, this notion that you know people are overwhelmed, right? Mm-hmm. People think that injustice feels overwhelming, which it does, or like an issue feels very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And they become paralyzed and they think to themselves, well, you know, what can I do to contribute to to any type of change? Not not realizing that God has given them something to contribute. Oh, yeah. And what I'm trying to uh, push people to think about is that you're you're something, whether whatever it is uh, connected to somebody else's something connected to somebody else's something is what ultimately makes an impact. Uh, we all have a role to play in the story. And what I'm trying to push people to do is come together and identify what role that is, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like you to talk a little bit about some of the particulars. I'm looking at my fake slides that aren't up, but um, you have the mobile makeover. Maybe you could describe that. And that really puts into place some people who have the skills of, of cutting hair and and helping people get some of the simplest things are what people want the most. They just want to feel human. They want to feel cleaned off and shaved and dress nice, even if they can't meet that huge milestone of getting a house quite yet. They just want some basic stuff. And the mobile makeover uh, was such a great step in changing people's complete outlook. Could you talk a little bit about that and some of the other things that Love Beyond Walls winds up doing? Yeah, it's a really great point. So back in 2014, uh, going into 2015, we actually converted a 30 passenger church bus into Atlanta's first mobile barbershop, mobile shower and mobile clothing closet. It was like an all in one space. Mm. Um, And that sounds like grand and glorious. Right. (laughs) But um, it actually started really small. Uh, One day I was sitting in an office and um, I had just met this guy um, and we can we can just say his name is Bernard and Bernard had become a really great friend. I actually met him at a gas station. He was dumpster diving. He was looking for lunch in a trash can. Mm-hmm. I walked up to him um, just to spark conversation and then to offer him the dignity of just having a, a clean meal. Mm-hmm. And then we somehow got into a conversation uh, where I asked him, you know, if you had one wish, what would that wish be? Uh, he's 64 years old. He lost his wife, um, became severely depressed, could no longer cope, uh, had more month, a month at the end of the month and money and could no longer afford his place to stay. And he's, you know, living on the streets. And he, he, he says before, like getting the job, before getting the ID, before getting all this stuff that we were able to assist him with, he says, I wish I could be made over. And what he was talking about is, you know, he hadn't showered in two months. Uh, the nearest shelter was about seven miles away. Wow. Uh, he said, if I was to go to that shelter, I probably would have to stand in a long line just to wash up in a sink, et cetera. Yeah. And um, the proximity and the presence that I, I de- developed in this relationship with him uh, became the catalyst for this idea, right? Um, I always say that ministry arises from need and not the other way around. And what I mean by that is the day I was sitting in the office, um, this pastor stops by 
and he brings some of uh, his uh, congregants. Um, and I was walking them around and I was showing them some of the things that we do. And then I had mentioned that story and all of a sudden he just said, Hey, I know this church that's giving away this bus. No other oh. church wants it. They've been trying to give it to like 20 churches and nobody wants it. I can uh, put you in contact with them in, in case you want to give people rides. Right. And so I go down to meet this pastor. I didn't know him uh, from Adam. And I'm talking to him about uh, the story of seeing Bernard, right? And uh, he says, you know what, brother? Uh, we just want to give you this uh, bus. And they, they gave it to our uh, organization for $1. We get the bus back up to Atlanta. And I was sitting there, like, racking my brain about what we would actually do. And I could not get that story out of my head. And I said, that's it. We have to turn it into something that affirms the people's uh, dignity who aren't able to make it to a shelter in time to be groomed. Mm -hmm. And maybe we could use this vehicle as a conduit uh, to connect people to other services. And so we launched this campaign. I actually uh, lived on top of the bus in a tent to bring awareness to this issue of a lack of grooming for an entire month. My wife and my uh, family allowed me to live in a tent on top of the bus for a month. After the month, it was like 500 volunteers got involved and wanted to help transform the bus. This uh, contractor volunteered his time, taught all the volunteers how to like uh, remake the bus. Jiffy Luke heard about it, got involved. And before you know it, less than uh, I think three and a half months, we had this bus on the road providing all of these makeovers. We always start with the the stories sometimes of like, oh, this is a really cool thing. But I, I tell, I share that story is because I had no clue. I just knew that my friend was living on the streets mm -hmm. and he had a hard time accessing running water in a shower. And if he is my neighbor, I'm going to do whatever it, it takes for him to have that type of access. But also in the process, I want to educate people about some of these realities of what they may have access to and take for granted every single day. And I would say this in closing about that. One of the coolest stories that emerges from that particular experience, which I write about in this upcoming book, I met this guy named Jamil. Uh, Jamil was 27 years old. I was driving this bus around to barbering schools, trying to find like volunteers and stuff yeah. like that. And Jamil was just graduating from barbering school. I was talking to his instructor. He says, I got the perfect guy. So he puts me in contact with Jamil. He becomes the first volunteer barber. I mean, he was just like serving, going hard. Like every time we had something with this bus, he would just show up. He was cutting little kids hair. He was uh, helping to uh, groom men uh, who were living on the streets. And one day I asked him, I said, I said, man, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And he says, I've never told anybody this, but I haven't seen my father since I was 17 years old. Uh, oh, he's wow. actually homeless uh, here in the city of Atlanta, and I'm hoping to run into him. Oh, right? wow. Yeah. Wow. Two months later, uh, we ran into his father <laughs> on the streets um, wow. on Martin Luther King Drive uh, here in the city of Atlanta. He made over his own father on the bus. Oh, wow. 
that inspired his father to enroll himself in a drug rehab program. Mm -hmm. His father went through that program, got out, got a job, and has been living in his own apartment for the last uh, two and a half years. And the reason I share that story is because I had no clue mm -hmm. that I would meet Jamil or he would be reunited with his father or his father would be no longer on the streets just because I just wanted to show up and serve my friend Bernard. And many other stories happen just from that. And I guess what I'm saying, uh, if people are listening, that you never know what will happen when you just take a step to show up, be proximate and be present and not just treat service as something that is casual, but it's affecting mm. uh, the very people that God loves. Yeah, that's a really great point. You just are taking that next step. You're an ordinary person wanting to make a difference. You don't have to think, how do I make a big organization like Love Beyond Walls and get the Ed Gen American Express Award <laughs> and go big? You can just think, how do I take care of this one person right in front of me? What, is, what are they hoping for? Instead of going to them and saying, here's some stuff you probably need to say, what do you need? Sometimes it's something really simple. Love sinks in. As soon as I saw that, I thought, okay, I have to know the story about how this happened. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, sharing all of that. And <clears throat> I think what you said is is so true about noticing the person that's before you. I will say this, Lisa, and I, I don't want to like have people think that the work that we do is just all, you know, cupcakes and ice cream <laughs> and like cherries and sprinkles. And, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, we're just sitting around. When the pandemic first started, we took a really huge hit. Uh, our organization was used to seeing near near 500 volunteers, sometimes wow. 600 volunteers per month uh, because we are a volunteer led organization. And so when the pandemic hit, imagine going from access to all of these hands, right? Uh, to only seeing less than 10 people per month. Wow. And that's been consistent uh, since the pandemic uh, started. And uh, not only have we had to pivot in certain ways because a lot of our programming was centered around volunteerism and uh, our communal support, mm -hmm. uh, we had to figure out a way how to continue to show up in the midst of the pandemic, you know, serve this population of people to remain proximate and present uh, to people we love. Um, a lot of my my work is centered around stories and you'll hear me share stories is because I'm close to the uh, the people that we love and uh, walk with. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting in the office one day and uh, one of our community members comes into the office. Um, and this is right around the time the, the, the pandemic was being like uh, made aware. Right? We kind of had this sense that stuff would be shutting down. And so we were going to shut down some of our programs. Mm -hmm. And um, right there in the middle of the lobby, you know, Daryl just started saying, I'm going to catch it. I'm going to catch it. And as he continued to explain, he says, I I'm scared for my life. I'm thinking I'll, I'll contract COVID because I don't have anywhere to wash my hands. People keep telling me to wash my hands. Where can I wash my hands? And basically he was talking about, you know, people using this term social distancing. Well, people experiencing homelessness have been dealing with social distancing long before that was yeah. like a coined phrase. Yeah. Right. 
right. not being able to share meals in public, not being able to stand in public places, etc. And he saw this as a threat because not only has he been put out of places or asked to leave places, now there's a, a compounded pandemic and now you really won't have access to going to a library um, or access yeah. technology or find out the latest details. And around that time, I was racking my brain about the pivot and I started to think about things that we've used in the past uh, to help temporarily house people. Um, Our organization has also used RVs and camping trailers. People uh, use these things from trips and stuff like that. And we've had a, a number of those donated and we've actually used those for, you know, to temporarily house people. Well, a part of those those units come with like all these portable options, these yeah. portable cooking stations, porta potties, yeah. portable hand washing stations. And then that's when it clicked. I was like um, thinking out loud to my team, what if we took one of the features and made that feature not something that people would use for leisure, but made it as uh, accessible for population of people that probably wouldn't be able to access just running water, soap and water. Uh, to protect themselves. And so I did research and I found a place that uh, would give me RV parts to assemble to create this hand washing station. Around that time, uh, my friend Lecrae had reached out uh, just like randomly one day. He was like, you know, saying, bro, like, what are you guys doing to service people living on the streets? And I told him this idea. And that's when he uh, stepped up and he donated like the first 15. And then uh, we launched. Uh, I only wanted to start with like five. (laughs) And, uh, you know, since then it's uh, spread. Uh, Now we have hand washing stations in like 50 cities um, and two countries. And it kind of like took off. So we have all these partnerships around the country. And the reason why I always tell the backstory to how something happened is because people only see the results, but they never see the struggle, right? Yeah, right. One thing I can say is developing this uh, campaign, Love Sinks In, uh, did not come like easy. Uh, during the same time, my wife's brother got sick from COVID and passed away. Oh. We've seen multiple members of our community pass away from COVID that weren't able to get testing. Uh, There are people right now that we know that live on the streets that are still missing that we can't find. And and so like there are a number of things as a nonprofit leader, even dealing with like trying to raise funds to be able to provide this sanitation for people all around the country. So Hmm. it's growing even now as we speak, like we just secured uh, two school systems, like one school system is going going to have them at uh, their bus stop. So kids can wash their hands before they get off on the bus and off the bus. Uh, they're going to have them at, at their bus ramps so kids can wash their hands before they go into the school. We have two school systems where we have uh, hand washing stations at every school in those in those counties. Right. Wow. Uh, we've done work with the reservation here in Arizona. Mm-hmm you know, uh, indigenous brothers and sisters not having access to running water, like the nearest uh, running water is like over an hour and a half away. I had no idea when I was thinking about this, that I would be working with uh, chapter leaders on the reservation uh, to help provide sanitation for indigenous brothers and sisters. 
And I go back to the, the statement that I made earlier. I found my niche at starting something, but also showing other people how they are a part of the story themselves. Because I understand this story is not my own. It's all of our story. And if I could be the catalyst to get something going and uh, show people how easy it is just to step up and say, you know, I'm going to do something, then I've accomplished my mission. And like right now, over 20,000 people are washing their hands out of these sinks every single <laughs> week all around the country. You know, who, who would ever ever thought? I, I mean... <laughs> I just wanted to, to serve, you know. It's, yeah. yeah. And it, it just takes a little bit of creative thinking, but then say, I'm, I'm going to keep pushing on this and who can help me? And then it seems like people go, well, I could do this. You know, like everybody could do a little something, but it does take a lot of people to do it. Like I, I'm assuming that you had not just money, but lots of help and lots of cooperation. Yeah, for sure. So when we when we first started it, it was we had a core group of, of volunteers uh, around the city. We started with these stations ourselves and we were like man of these stations, like going out every single day, making sure they were uh, refreshed with uh, water and soap, cleaning them, sanitizing them, etc. And then we realized that we could be more effective if we empowered other uh, nonprofits and organizations and, and persons who wanted to step up and be a part um, and like share this information so they could have this this much needed addition. Like shelters weren't letting people come into into them. Um, there were uh, churches that wanted these out that had feeding programs. Like we were finding all sorts of uh, organizations and still are finding organizations that need this basic resource. We just shifted our focus. We still maintain ours, but we shifted the focus in empowering others um, so we could help many more people because, you know, that's the nature of our organization is love beyond walls. And, you know, what better way than to show uh, love beyond the walls than to partner with any and then anyone and everybody who wanted to, you know, provide this this resource for uh, a population of people that were uh, vulnerable. And I will say this, my heart breaks here recently. You know, I was trying to find data on uh, how many people have passed away from COVID that actually live on the streets. Right. And uh, to my amazement, uh, no cities have reported uh, deaths of people experiencing homelessness. The only report that researchers have found have come from other news sources and articles. They're not keeping track. No, no, they're not keeping track and they're not reporting. But, you know, I just think about the number of people who uh, have, um, you know, who live with the uncertainty mm -hmm. uh, every single day. And it's not just the uncertainty of like, where is the country going or, you know, right where can we get more toilet paper is, is a type <laughs> yeah, of uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, like what happened two weeks ago when the city decided to uh, deploy these uh, bulldozers to literally take all of the tents underneath the bridge and trashing all of these person's items. Some people losing birth certificates and social security oh, wow. cards. 
you know, they only give you a certain amount of time to clear out before they clear off the field. And if you have more than five bags with you and you can only carry two, you know, what do you do? You know, that's the type of uncertainty that uh, people live with. And, you know, I just think that uh, the people of God uh, have a responsibility to ensure that, you know, all members of society are seen, uh, even if you don't have an address. And like I've said in many different interviews and talks, just because you don't have an address does not mean that you're not a neighbor. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I wanted to point out, too, that your site, lovebeyondwalls.com, org right it's dot org mm-hmm. and on there it does show how to make your own sink you have like instructions on there how to make one so love beyond walls I'm, we're waiting for terrence to pop back in they have a medical clinic counseling center grooming stations a wash house an employment center they'd have worship an innovation lab housing food pantry at their headquarters in atlanta and some of these things are um, you know, over years they have grown into this, but there's certain things that we can do even in our neighborhoods where we know that people experience homelessness, where we could have things uh, available to people to be able to get a shower or to uh, have a clothes closet or to have access to a computer to use the internet to get things like important documents, which you can't get a job without your important documents and without a mailing address. Those are the types of things that provide basic dignity for people. I mean, this is something I think people could do without too much trouble in in certain respects because people need access to Wi-Fi or to like burner phones. And some of these things that we take completely for granted, without them, you are really stuck Uh, to get ID if you don't have it. To get a post office box is really expensive. I just got one. Like, if you don't have any money to eat, you're not going to get a P.O. box or something like that to be able to get a job to have an address. If you were to set something like that up, say, uh, at a business of your own, would a person be able to set something up where people could have mail delivered there if they needed to? Yeah, for sure. Um, We provided that service many times over with this gentleman to recover his birth certificate. We were helping this gentleman uh, recover his ID. Uh, we had access to an attorney that volunteered that had to write a letter to his birth hospital mm. to have them initiate the process of having him secure his birth certificate. It took literally eight months for him to oh. secure his uh, birth certificate. And when he got it, we were really excited, but then he needed an address to verify or validate, you know, that he had a place, um, which we allowed him to use our center um, because you need ID to get other ID, right? And so he was able to to use our uh, center, our address uh, to even secure like a bank account, etc., until he was able to uh, move out and get his own space, and so something as simple as a, a mailbox or having an address to to be able to send letters can be life or um, stagnation for yeah. uh, a lot of people is right. what I'm saying. Another thing too is um, I, I know you mentioned something that is, you know, oftentimes o- overlooked is, uh, you know, they, they sell these little uh, routers, oh, um, yeah. you know, where you can access Wi-Fi or you can pay monthly where somebody could hop online. 
Uh, here, here recently, we just saw this viral photo of two kids sitting outside of like a Taco Bell uh, trying to use Wi-Fi because they didn't have access to the internet yeah. at their home, right. uh, which, you know, many people stepped up and they started like shipping out these broadband uh, routers for people to be able to use. But there have even been times where we uh, have allowed people to use the internet to fill out job applications mm -hmm. like we still do. There are people that we've encountered that were experiencing homelessness that were in school, right? Mm -hmm. That would literally go to the library and could not do their homework because all the computers were taken. And so, yeah. you know, Wi-Fi access um, became lifeblood to a lot of, lot of people that we in, encountered. Mm -hmm. There's even times when people have used the internet to reunite with their family members. We've done research to help many people uh, reunite. And I think to your point, people think that, you know, you have to start this big organization. That's not what it's about. It's about finding your role in the story. When I was accepting that award that you mentioned earlier, like I was telling them, you know, I never thought I would be acknowledged or, or receive awards and all that stuff because it wasn't my goal. My goal was just to wake up every day and show up, you know, <laughs> and in some way, this type of impact work I feel like is a calling. Mm -hmm. And it's what I'm contributing back to uh, what I feel God is, is called me to do with my life. I too, at one point experienced homelessness, right? Mm -hmm. And there were people who saw me, um, who called out the good in me, who noticed mm -hmm. me beyond my circumstances. All of those words and um, you know lessons have contributed into the person that I, I've become today. And I, there are oftentimes when I, I think back and I reflect and I'm like, I literally tear up, you yeah. know, because yeah. I, I did not think that I would be here, even talking to you, I mean, or talking about this subject. Like, so I, I said all that to say is, um, you know, you could find something as simple as what you're gifted at. I would remember one time a volunteer who knew calligraphy. Uh, she just knew how to, you know, draw fancy letters yeah. on pieces of paper that sparked the idea that we turned into like dignity art program. And for a time she would come and show these guys and gals that we were working with how to do calligraphy and we yeah. created art pieces similar to this one yeah. you know behind me they got a chance to express their quotes and mm -hmm. sell their art we threw art shows right just so people could they could talk about the their art and what it meant to them and mm -hmm. like there are many people got jobs from that right wow it's as simple as figuring out how can what you're what you are gifted at serve someone yeah you know is it research is it cooking is it mm -hmm. um the ability to sing i remember one time we were doing this big health fair and this kid i have so many of these stories but this kid <laughs> he's in high school and he was a part of the his jazz band right i kid you not so we're out volunteering, his mom's volunteering, he's just there and everybody's gathered, they're eating, like people are talking. This little kid, he had to be like 15 years old, he comes up to me, he says, do you mind if I play some music, right? <laughs> yeah. He awesome. goes out to the car, 
There's a microphone up there. This dude just starts playing his jazz saxophone. Oh, that's fun. And just like put even more peace in the environment where so many more connections were able to be made. And then like all of these community members were going up to him, encouraging him. And it was just like this, yeah. this moment. And people would say, well, how is that serving? You know, it is because he created an atmosphere where people let their guards down, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. It was a, it was a common it was a common language too. It, music is like this common language, and people can just all enjoy it together. And it's another way of connection. And and that's the thing. Whether you're if you're good at talking to people, if you're good at I know people good at sewing the masks and they give them to people. And it doesn't have to be something incredible, like, oh, I'm a math genius, so I'm going to... just has to do with empathy and basic human kindness, I think, and noticing people. Like, your book titled How Love Opens Our Eyes to Seeing Invisible People, it really is about just waking up. Hmm. They're waking up to something beyond... We, we all have our own needs that have to be taken care of, too. We can't just put them aside. But in the process of serving other people, our own needs are also met in many ways too. It really isn't hard to, to come up to somebody and just meet their need to just be noticed as a person. Like, I know it's really hard right now, mm. but it's going to be okay and I'm going to keep checking on you. And just that that person knows that someone's going to come and watch out and see if I'm okay. To know that there's somebody out there who's going to care about that. It mm. doesn't take any money to do that. Is there anything you want to leave people with or point people toward either with your book or the organization or how they can help? Uh, oftentimes when I go out and, and I talk to people, you know, I ask them this, this question, what's around you? You know, um, when I was doing uh, my master's in, in clinical counseling, one of the classes that I took uh, was about community resourcing. Mm-hmm. And it, it was all about uh, figuring out what was around uh, the community, because some of the, the greatest uh, resources that you could give a person is information, right? Yeah. Sometimes just, you know, being a resource yourself could become a bridge to somebody getting uh, shelter. Oh, I know, you know, this organization that does this. Oh, I know this mm-hmm. uh, organization in the area that d- does this. Um, I think the second part of that, too, is uh, not only being a resource of information, but also being a resource in um, discerning as you get to to know someone, you, you hear needs. I think as we know people, not only do we know them as people, but we also know the gaps as we sit and listen to their stories. Mm-hmm. And, and you'll start to, to notice that those gaps are very common mm-hmm. um, in many people's lives. But uh, if people want to, to look us up or, you know, follow us on social media, they can reach out lovebeyondwalls.org or at lovebeyondwalls. And that's uh, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.
Uh, thank you so much, uh, yeah. Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And are you available for people to have consultations with you if they need help? Are you doing some of that work as well? All the time. Um, mm -hmm. As my schedule permits, you know, people reach out and I love connecting with people on Zoom and, and, and talking through some of these uh, mm -hmm. deeper details. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest and your work is so important. Thank you so much, Terrence. I, I appreciate you and what you're doing. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much.